I'm Chef Pete Gagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef. Because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. We're coming to you from the Cargill Innovation Center in Wichita, Kansas. And today, we have a very special episode. We're welcoming three guests to the podcast for a rousing roundtable discussion on women in culinary, discussing their journeys in the culinary field, their professional experiences, and the challenges they have faced in the industry. I'm joined by Chef Sarah Cooney, a frequent guest and owner of the Root Cellar Cafe and Catering in Chapel Hill and Pittsburgh, North Carolina. We have Chef Janet Bourbon, another former podcast guest who works on food service strategic accounts here at Cargill. And joining us for the first time, we have Chef Heather Caros, a 25-year industry veteran and graduate of the Newberry College School for Hotel and Restaurant Management. She's currently the executive chef at Penning's Farm and Orchard in Warwick, New York, where she is calling in from her bustling kitchen. Ladies, welcome into the kitchen. Hi, Chef Pete. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Hello, Chef. I'm, like, really excited about this episode. It's a bit of a new format for us on this podcast, but I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Going to have some great stories. I've known the three of you for a really long time now, so this is going to be uh, pretty cool. I guess we'll start off with each of you just giving some highlights about your current work and what you're doing today. And I'm, I'm going to start off with our newest guest, Heather. Thank you. So I started working here at Pennings Farm and Orchard about nine years ago. It was a simple farm stand with a small kitchen, and it has evolved into a sit-down dining space with two kitchens, a bakery, and a beer garden. Whoa. It's pretty awesome, actually. If you get a chance, go. (laughs) I come every day. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky you, right? Um, We'll jump over to Janet. Hello, all. I am one of the strategic chefs here at Cargill, and I have been here. I just celebrated my 14th anniversary with Cargill, so that's quite the attention span. I work with quick service customers, a variety of them, just really working hand-in-hand with their chefs or R&D teams to create menu solutions for them. Very cool. Last but not least, Sarah. Hey, so I am Sarah Cooney coming from North Carolina. I own two root cellars, one celebrating 10-year anniversary this month and the other selling a five-year anniversary. And then I just recently formed a nonprofit community fridge program here. Very cool. Impressive. How's that going? It's going good. There's a lot of sterling beef going in that fridge lately. Nice. Good to hear. I'm sure your communities all love the things that you do there, and uh, that's really cool. Let's start off with some pretty simple questions. You know, why'd you get into the culinary arts? What made you want to cook for a living? And are there any influential people along the way that helped you along or that you idolized that that got you to where you are today? We'll go with Sarah first. So, you know, the old saying, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. I mean, I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I work every day. It's I wouldn't imagine myself doing anything else. A lot of the people that I idolized when I was young, I watched a lot of PBS. So, you know, there was always Martha Stewart and Julia Child and Alice Waters and Sarah Moulton on TV. So I really looked up to those women and the things that they accomplished. Cool. Um, Heather? 
So I got into culinary mostly just as a job to start out with and grew to love it and really enjoy it and learn to do a lot more with it. There was a chef I worked for in Philadelphia, Michelle Haynes. She came here from France and she really just um, gave me a lot of life advice and cooking advice and it was really great. And how about you, Janet? You know, it's interesting hearing Sarah talk about the women chefs that she saw on TV because given my advanced age, the only person that was on TV cooking was Julia Child. And I would watch it occasionally, but I'm from before the Food Network when culinary was just like kind of out there And I didn't know anyone that did it. And it never even occurred to me until I was probably 20 years old that you could earn your living by cooking. I have to say, I have to give my mom credit because she kind of, from the time I was 10 years old, she gave me free reign in the kitchen. And not only that, she would clean up. So on especially bad days in my career, I would call her up and I would say, Mom, this is all your fault. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Now, listen, um, Janet, you're not that old. No, but I definitely, (laughs) but like you, well, no, maybe not like you. (laughs) I did, I started just on the cusp of when their celebrity chefs were starting and the Food Network was just starting. I started in the 80s and the landscape was really different. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I don't know if anybody uh, that we're talking with here today was really driven by the Food Network per se. I think that's, while we were starting our careers, that's something that took off. And I mean, if anything, it's probably helped our careers, whether we realize it or not, just because there was a lot more interest in food and not just eating just to eat, to really understand and and experience, which helps fuel our jobs and our passions. So let's move on to some personal journeys here, right? So we'll start with you, Janet. Talk a little bit about when you got your first job as a chef. You might have been maybe the only woman in the kitchen, or you were one of a few, and you got to look at it from both as the cook's lens, and then also here I am, maybe the minority in the kitchen, and and am I treated a little different, you know? So (laughs) I'd I'd love to hear a little bit of your journey there. Well, I do remember, I did an apprenticeship in Toronto, Canada, and I remember being absolutely terrified out of my mind. I had done the culinary school part already, but that didn't make me very confident. During my career, usually I've been the only woman. Occasionally, there might have been one or two more, but that was rare. So was I treated differently? Yes, I was. I grew up with one sister, and I always wanted brothers And it was a lesson in be careful what you wish for Mm. because all of a sudden I had a bunch of brothers and it was not a HR-friendly zone. And today it would be called sexual harassment, but then it was just how things were. And so I learned how to roll with the punches and just keep on keeping on because I had no recourse. I mean... I worked in hotels and restaurants, and yes, HR existed, but I wouldn't have even known where to begin to complain. And honestly, it it seemed 
in a way, like they want to test you at first to see what you're going to do. Are you going to cry? Are you going to get mad? But usually I had kind of a smart mouth and I would just give it back. And then everything was fine. I was kind of like one of the boys. Gotcha. Heather, how about you? Uh, Any experiences there? Uh, Yeah, very similar to Janet, I would say. In the beginning, very low confidence in myself going into the kitchen. And then once getting my foot in the door, it was good. You gave it back with a smart mouth and you made jokes and you went along with the jokes. And most of the time that was good enough. And you, you know, you could get your job done and have some fun while you're doing it. Even though looking back, it really probably wasn't the healthiest atmosphere, <laughs> you know? You got through it at least to this point, right? Um, you know, there's probably some oh, things you'd sure. want to see do differently, but I think the experiences we have in our lives definitely shape us to what we are today. So, hey, Sarah, how about yourself? So I was pretty lucky. I got in with a restaurant that had young guys, and there was three of them. They were all like 26, and I'm 19. And they treated me like a little sister. Uh, they made me do all the horrible things, but they were good to me. You know, like, they weren't horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, we joked around a lot. I mean, they really shaped me to go and train people. You know, I was in school, so I they had already graduated, and they'd be like, no, no, you know, do it this way, or, hey, this is faster. I mean, they were always very supportive. I mean, there were guys still doing, you know, the stupid guy things that they do. But, I mean, I would have had it no other way. I mean, I love that. Um, I consider myself one of the guys all the time. They were just so many great guys. Cool. I guess there's so many different experiences, and that's what makes this world go around. It's unfortunate. Some of them were pretty crappy. But, again, those are those things that, you know, I guess we all get to reflect on or at that time, if need be, walk away from. Or in the case, it sounds like both Janet and Heather would just tell those uh, chefs and those other cooks to go, you know what, yourself, if they had anything nasty to say. So we'll jump over to Janet. How have some of these experiences shaped you and the decisions sometimes you make today? How did they shape those decisions? There's one story that I can tell that comes back to me. I was working in a hotel and the executive chef was French, and he did not speak English, but the executive sous chef was bilingual. So I was in the chef's office getting, I suppose, what would be called a performance review. It was uh, short and sweet, and it was through the executive sous chef translating. I spoke a little French, um, enough to understand what the chef was saying, but I couldn't really respond. And then finally... At the end of the assessment, you know, like keep your workstation clean and all that jazz, um, the chef looked at me and he looked at the exec sue and he said, tell her, he said this in French, tell her that she does the job as well as a man. And this was in 1984. And even back then, the executive sous chef kind of stumbled I understood what the chef said, but the executive sous chef was a little scared to give it back to me. But all I did was I said, merci, chef, and I left the office. But it made me, I think, a lot more determined to be as good as I could and to prove myself, essentially, that even today, looking at it, 
you know, how many years later, it's still a little bit mind-blowing. Well, and I guess it's something you think about often. It helps drive you to always remember that, you know, I'm better than that, and I'm going to be better than that, so. I agree. Hey, Heather, have you had anything uh, that really has shaped the way you are today? Um, definitely. I've had very similar experiences to what Jenna was just saying, and then also just going in and failing at things. Um, mm -hmm. I had a job interview, and I moved back to New York, and I went into interview. I performed well in the interview, and at the end, they said, okay, well, if you, you go in the kitchen and you make this soup the way we want you to, then, you know, the job is yours. So went in the kitchen, found my way around, and got to the point where I realized I did not know how to treat all the vegetables in the soup. So winged it, did a terrible job. At that point, you know, didn't get the job and really got laughed at by a bunch of the guys in the kitchen. Ouch. Yeah, it, it was it was harsh, <laughs> but um, it really motivated me to go out and learn as much as I could about every food that I could find. Sure, you know, and really succeed and not get laughed at again. Did they make the men come in and cook, or was it just you? Uh, I don't know. There wasn't anyone else there when I was doing gotcha. it. Just you the, just, yeah, the guys in the kitchen and, and myself. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it was... I just wonder. And I didn't talk about this earlier, but Heather used to work with me, and I, I work with Heather, and that's where we met. And actually, she's my sister-in-law, just for those that are listening. <laughs> I married her, uh, her younger sister. So thank you for introducing us, by the way. Oh. Um, and that was, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to take a stab. Was that, is that how you ended up being, uh, coming to work at Beth Carey's? Cause you didn't get that job. <laughs> um, no, I actually oh, okay. went to work at Aquavit after that. That's okay. Now I'm, it's, it, it's been a while. So, so I'm yeah. trying to remember that, but it, it, it all led to us meeting at some point, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So things happen for a reason. Hey, Sarah, how about you? Anything there that shaped your career and how you work your job today? Yeah, so when I was younger, I went into a restaurant and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job, handed him my resume. And the chef owner said, he looked at it and he goes, oh, are you applying for a waitress? And I was like, no. He's like, oh, well, women will never work in my kitchen. You don't, you know, you don't work in kitchens. You don't work in my kitchen. And I was like, he's like, but if you want to be a waitress, we'll hire you. And I was like, screw you. And I walked out and I was like, <laughs> I went, you know, I went home and I was telling my dad and my dad is like, that is exactly why you got into this. You're going to change things. And I said, yeah. And I, you know, I ended up getting a really great job with a bunch of people that were very respectful and, you know, they were very upbringing and stuff like that. But then now I'm like, if anybody wants to learn to cook, I'm like, come on, I'll show you. Come on, come work mm -hmm. with me. You know, I have girls work in the front and then they're like, you know, I really want to learn the back. And I was like, okay, come on. And, you know, I trained them and. You know, I've had guys who don't want to work in the kitchen anymore. And they're like, can I go work out front and everything like that? So I'm like, you know what? What you want to learn, you're going to learn. And I'm never going to say no to anybody because you never know. Like that next sure. person you said no to could be the next chef superstar or something. Change the world. That's a great way to look at it. Someone told you no and you didn't like the way it felt. And you're like, I'm never going to do that to somebody else. That's yeah. so cool. And a lot of people are lucky because of that experience that you had, right? Can you remind them of that sometime yeah, for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them they need to listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> Their homework. 
Yeah, sometimes we have these short minds, right? You know, we don't remember what happened last week and how someone opened the door for us, but we definitely should remember. Heather, we'll go back to you and uh, see if there's other memorable experiences along the way, you know, maybe some challenges that you faced, those moments that made you what you are. Oh, this is a, a terrible story, but it, it impressed on me a lot. I was, it was one of my first jobs and I was uh, working the grill and I neglected to get enough oil on the steak before I put it on the grill. And the chef came over and was in a rage and grabbed my head and pushed it towards the grill and was just, do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear sizzle? There's no oil on that steak. What the hell is wrong with you? Blah, 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 on and on and on until, you know, like I was like, get off of me. You're an asshole, whatever. It made me feel afraid for a, mm-hmm. for a little while about it it did get back to the owner by like the next day and he called me into the office and you know asked what happened and he said to me so do you want to go fire him or do you want me to do it and he gave me the opportunity to go and tell the chef like of the restaurant I was the sous chef at the time and say hey you're done you can't treat me like that and you're out of here so in one hand, uh, it was terrifying, and in another hand, it was empowering because there was one sure. man on one end doing one thing, like trying to, you know, bully and be nasty, and then another man who was ready to empower me to take control of the situation. That That's was crazy. Way, yeah. way, way back in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, don't re- I don't recall hearing that story, but yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. It sounds, again, you, you know, it's an experience, unfortunately, that you had that you, you got something good out of it. Janet, how about you? Um, I was working at a chain restaurant, and the restaurant group was not purchased outright, but purchased by an equity partnership. So this group of men owned 49% of the chain. And to them, if you were there before they arrived, you were part of the problem. Even though I was not terribly important, that didn't matter. What they tried to do was they couldn't fire me outright because I'd had a series of good performance reviews. Everything was going well, but they didn't want me in the position. So um, they couldn't fire me, so they tried to make my life as miserable as possible so that I would leave. It was very unpleasant. Let the record show I did not cry on the job, but I would go home and just lose it, much to everyone's dismay, my two sons and husbands. In the end... I ended up going to another restaurant chain, but within the same restaurant group. And I would say the lesson learned is know when to walk away and also trust your gut. Because I kind of had this feeling that maybe things weren't right and something something was awry, but I'd never, I'd always been, you know, sort of, 
the good girl and, well, yes, you're going to, of course, you're doing fine. And yes, we like you and all is well. So I couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that maybe all was not well. So the lesson learned, trust your gut, know when to walk. Okay. Makes sense. Those instincts that we have, right? You know, sometimes we need to listen to them. It was interesting too, because that was the worst behavior that I've ever received in a professional environment. It was, that was far worse than anything I ever had to go through in kitchens. Wow. Pretty sad. I mean, there's sometimes there's a silver lining on the other side, but it's pretty bad when you hear how people are treated. Or, um, or, or that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, Kanye West. <laughs> they should all be learning experiences, right? You know, at the end of the day, even if it was bad, we learned something from it, and hopefully we don't repeat that again if we have control over it. Right? Yes. Uh, how about you, Sarah? So I don't really have any of these bad experiences that you all you all have had. I guess I've been pretty lucky. And I've worked with a lot of great chefs and owners. But I have memorable experiences a lot. Um, so a couple of years ago, I got a call from Food Network and they said, hey, do you want to do this show? And I was like, yeah, cool. We all get picked up in a van. And then there's there's like four of us, me and then three other guys. And the guys are just, you know, being guys and like going, oh, I was nominated for a James Beard. I import this olive oil from this thing. And oh, I work for this guy. And, you know, just oh. kind of getting a tape measure out. And I'm like. <laughs> 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 and meanwhile, I'm just sitting in the van, like sending texts to my wife and my friend, like, oh, my God, these guys. Oh, my God, this, this and this. And I was like, what did I get myself into? Like. You know, I maybe I'm not good enough for this. And they both were like, yo, Sarah, calm down. They called you for a reason. They asked you to come out for a reason. Like, you're just as good as these guys. And I was like, you know what, you're right, and everything like that. And then, you know, the show airs, and one gets cut early on something silly and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, at the end, after the show is done filming, we all are hanging out. And, like, they, like, calmed down. They lost that macho. Testosterone. Right. It's just so bad. And I was like, what, why do we need this guys? Like, we're all the same. Like, come on, cut it out. And, you know, now we're friends and we text each other all the time and we see each other, you know, on Instagram or whatnot, like congratulations and that stuff. It's just like, guys, why do you have to do that? Like women always build each other up. You know, like if you're always like, come on, you got this, you can do this. Like, Hey, I'll help you get this started or whatnot. But guys are always like, well, you know, I have this much and you have that, you know, you're not good enough for that kind of stuff. And I was like, this is the part that we need to change. Uber competitive. Yeah. It's like, let's just knock it off. But, you know, it was still memorable for me and it turned out good in the end. They were all good guys. So you're just sitting back there quietly, just typing away as they're just doing their thing. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Just laughing. Uh, Love it. What would you say you personally bring to the professional kitchen that maybe, you know, you should pride yourself on this because not too many other people do that. Yeah, well, uh, you got, you know me. I'm easygoing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't take myself seriously. I don't wear a chef coat. I have a mohawk. You know, I have tattoos. Like, and I want it to be that way. I want to be the, like, easygoing. Like, I don't want that stigma of the, yes, chef, no chef, I like it that we are all working together. You know, like they help. Like if we're coming up with a menu, I ask the line, hey, what do you guys want to do next week? Like, and they're like, oh, can we do this or that kind of stuff? And I just think it makes 
the whole kitchen better. I'm done with the white chef coats and the just the top of the line and stuff like that. I just really just want to have a good time, play some good music. We cook good food. You know, just chill. Can I come and work for you? I know, sure. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I'm good. No, no, it's all good. You can have Janet. Go ahead. Yeah, right. See you later, Janet. Um, so I did want to uh, ask, though, was there a point in your career, though, that maybe that structure was a good thing? Yeah, definitely. Like the first the restaurant I worked at, the first the guys, they were really easygoing. Um, and then, you know, I did work for fine dining and. You know, we had Garmage and Sue and Sue Sue and, you know, all the different little stations. And I liked it. I thought that's what I wanted. And then I kind of just grew into myself and realized sure. that yep. it's not me. Yeah. It's all good. What I was just getting at is, you know, I mean, I think sometimes structure helps us learn and grow. Right. You know, but then we become our own. Hey, Heather, how about you? I don't know. I love some structure. This is a big place. I have about a hundred guys under me sometimes. So I need to have a chain of command to keep it moving. But also like we are jeans and t-shirt people here. It's not so tight that, you know, there's no one gets to voice their opinion. And we really are a team, especially those people who are here all year round with me. We do work together. And I feel like being a good listener to those mm-hmm. guys really brings something to them and letting people grow and, and use their ideas too makes it a better place to work. It makes the food better, different ideas that come in. It makes it fun to come to work. Yeah, I mean, if you're just spending the day just barking orders, that's oh, miserable, fun, right? Yeah, can't be fun. What are you getting out of that? <laughs> nothing, yeah, right? Nothing. So. Janet, how about you? Is there, you know, some something that, you know, you personally bring to the kitchen today that you feel it, it's your own? It's not anybody else's. The only thing that comes to mind is my perspective on things, which everybody mm-hmm. brings, sure. right? Everyone yep. has their own unique perspective. But maybe my experience, because I have been doing this for quite a while, and the stuff that I can draw on from oh, well, when I was at the hotel, we did it this way. Or when I worked for Stephen Piles, we did it like that. Or when I worked at Tyson Foods, you name it. I can pull from a lot of different areas. And also, I liked what Sarah said about growing into yourself. Like, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at, too. I'd love to know what each of you would have to say to maybe a young aspiring woman chef or, or someone she's not a chef yet, but wants to get into this world of culinary. Uh, we'll start off with Janet. First, I would say before you go to culinary school and make that investment, really try to work in a restaurant, any kind of a restaurant. It can be fine dining. It can be Applebee's. It could be McDonald's, but you need to do it to Just get a sense of the rhythm and what it's like to see if it's something that you think you would enjoy. The other thing I would say, make sure you have a good sense of humor and a thick skin. (laughs) No doubt about that. How about you, Heather? Eat everything. There you go. You know, like, don't be afraid to eat, to try things. And 
definitely don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and have some integrity. Definitely great advice there. Sarah? I would definitely say get some good shoes and be (laughs) (laughs) ready. Because when you get to be this old, your feet hurt. And just be ready for anything and learn anything and everything you can. Solid advice. I mean, I think that goes for anybody that's young. You have aspirations of doing anything. Learn about it some more. Get some of those experiences. I mean, we all love food, love to eat. A lot of people love to cook. There's a bit more that goes into it when you're working day in and day out, though. Many hours, long days, on your feet, right? Good shoes. And lots of different personalities that you're going to come across. Because, <laughs> I mean, and, and it goes for most of us is in this industry, how you end up becoming your own, you end up working in a lot of places. So maybe you're two years here, three years there, four years there, six months, whatever it is, you're going to come across a lot of personalities. It's all going to create a much better experience later on in life if you do that from the start. Thinking about it, though, just a little bit more into the woman aspect. You know, Janet, you mentioned it earlier that times have changed since you started. Things are different in today's world, but in probably in a lot of cases, it's still not, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Equitable? It, yeah, that's a good word. It's not equitable. It's not like it's a complete 180, right? So it, it's not where every place you walk into is going to be uh, hunky-dory with allowing women in the kitchen. But what would you say to that young woman today about getting through any of those hard times that might still be there for them? Janet, what are your thoughts? Hmm. You know, trying to develop the characteristic of resilience and the ability to bounce back, again, that's not just for young women going into the kitchen. That is for any young person going onto the job because it's not always going to be great. People aren't always going to be nice. I mean, you're going to get feedback. You're going to get criticism, not necessarily in a harsh way, but, you know, it's part of the learning process. So you really need to be able to bounce back. Yeah. Heather, how about you? I mean, you're a mother of two daughters. What are those, uh, you know, important things that a young woman needs to understand going out there into the workforce? Well, we have a conversation a lot at home about people's rights and rights to who they are and how they're treated. And it usually comes down to be honest with yourself, be honest with the people around you, and be prepared for different situations. Like, no one has the right to treat you poorly, Mm -hmm. but being criticized isn't necessarily being treated poorly. You know, like, hopefully it's constructive criticism, but it's not always. I mean, you're you're right, 100% there, and, and I think you actually said it the way I try to say it. You have to be treated like a person. But just because someone might give you some criticism, and sometimes it might be a little harsh, it doesn't necessarily mean that someone's not treating you like a person. You know, sometimes I think we can go a little too far in the other direction if we get upset just because someone gave me some criticism. But at the same time, if you're not being treated like a good human, like you should be, you need to question it and you need to actually 
reflect on that and decide, hey, should I work here anymore because of this? Or is it really that I'm just taking it a little bit too harsh when they're trying to get me to do my job better? I think it's also about being treated and treating other people with respect. Yes. Yeah, and you can still be on the receiving end of some pretty strong criticism or be giving it yourself without being disrespectful. That's perfect, exactly. And how about you, Sarah? You got thoughts on this? I would say find a good mentor, somebody that you can go to. Uh, They don't even need to be in the culinary program. Like, Mm -hmm. just a woman who you can go to and say, you know, I'm having trouble or any of those things. But I just feel like a lot of us, we kind of push ourselves through it and we like hold our feelings back or we go home and stuff like that. But if there's somebody else out there that you can like bounce these things off of, I think it really helps. And I think it makes us stronger together. Really solid advice. And like you said, they don't have to work with you. They don't have to be in the industry, right? This is just someone you're having that conversation with. So a career, you know, women in culinary, it sounds like it's been pretty good to the three of you. So what are some ways that we in this world of culinary, how can we welcome more women into this industry? Because there might be some out there that might think it's not meant for me. How can we spread the word and and help and lift those so they can achieve greater opportunities? Uh, Let's start off with uh, Heather. So I would say that um, as individuals, be open-minded, not being egotistical, listening, You know, as a chef, a lot of times I feel like, you know, it is all about us and what we're doing in our place of work and how we're getting the food out and making people happy. But I think that we can do better by just, you know, giving other people a chance to be heard. Okay. Hmm. I agree there. Like, goes back to the style of, you know, managing or leading that you have and that Sarah has that, you know, just giving other people's a voice and listening to them, uh, that gives them an opportunity to speak up. And I think that gives them an opportunity to grow. How about you, Janet? What are your thoughts on this? Well, a way to get more women into the industry, I think ProStart, which is the educational arm of the National Restaurant Association, Mm -hmm. and it's a a high school program for, obviously, young men and young women. That is a great way to start because it gets them actively cooking. I mean, they get their hands dirty. They have to compete, and it lets them know what is out there because I think Well, I mean, that was a problem when I was young, but uh, it's less so now. But still, people don't always know about the opportunities there are in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. So I think ProStart is a good way. I think the food network and the overall interest in like food has become kind of hip. I think that helps. But as Heather said, it is kind of up to us as individuals to almost get out there as preachers in a way, and let young people, men and women, let them know the opportunities that exist within this industry. Because often I think it's dismissed because people are like, oh, fast food? No, I don't want to do that. Sure. And it's a lot more than just, as we all know, than just flipping some burgers. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you talk about opportunity, right? That's what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I like to tell um, young people, and I, I told my own kids, the job that I hold today and Pete, the one that you have today, it did not exist when I graduated from culinary school. No, you're right. So who knows what the future can hold for young people entering the hospitality industry? Sure. Could go any direction. I would almost think, too, that you look at even Heather's job, working basically at this huge, oh, yeah. huge farm and, and turning it into this massive food venue, whereas restaurants and bakeries and all that, that really didn't exist much, at least at that scale where you're employing how many people, you know, 100 plus cooks. That didn't exist a long time ago either, right? Right. It was not. Nope. I was there. <laughs> yeah, right. How about you, Sarah? What are your thoughts on that? Creating uh, opportunities and, and ways that we can help hatch new leaders and, and um, advance careers in this industry for, for young women. So I think we need to be good stewards and like explain that this industry is not as bad as everybody makes it seem out, you know, like everybody was making it seem out to be like, we're not all perverts. We're not all alcoholics. We're not all these kind of horrible things that a lot of us are in it because we love it. And I think we need to teach that, you know, some things are just not appropriate anymore. And I think if we show them these kind of things that we can change this, but I mean, there's so many different aspects of the culinary program anybody can go into at this point. I mean, there's so many cool jobs that these kids could say, you know, I want to do this. I go to culinary school, but then maybe you go work for somebody developing the new the the new egg or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I think True. we just got to we got to talk good about it and like the bears out there for a reason, but there's good parts and there's bad parts of that too. Yeah. Like anything. It goes on in any career, right? It's funny you mentioned that that show, and it's great entertainment, and maybe it is the way things have been for some, but it's not the way it is for everybody. I personally have had a really good career, and I've had some people that I worked for that weren't so nice, um, but stuck up for myself. And as Janet mentioned earlier, or even Heather, you know, you give it right back to them and things change. And I'm not a female and I've had some hard times too, but you push through it. And honestly, most days they're enjoyable. It's hard work. There's no doubt about that. Long days and hard work, but it can be a great career. It can be a lot of fun and it's not all drugs and sex and, and, and just in, in rock and in, roll. Yeah. And same things, people getting shot and stabbed and all that other stuff that the show has portrayed it as again, that's entertainment. I read an article about some high-end named chef. He thinks that show that you mentioned before, too, is detrimental to our industry in a way because it's just one of those things that, you know, as a parent, you might go, I don't want my kid to be involved in that stuff. Well, I think we can all tell you that, you know what? Yeah, that's here and there, but it's not that often. And if we think that only exists in the culinary world, then you're kidding yourself. As a whole, it can be a great, way for someone to spend their life and really do a lot of great things it's so fulfilling yeah especially if you love it right you know if you truly love what you do and you walk away every day and and you're like that was cool you get to see that you make people happy that's for me is the best part is you cook some food and and whether you're talking to them or you're just peeking through a window and and you can see that people are enjoying themselves because of the fruits of our labor that to me is makes me want to come and do it again Oh, you know, and the paycheck's nice also. <laughs> <laughs> I always used to say one of the reasons I loved it 
was because it was instant gratification. My husband was an architect and like his projects could take years to reach fruition. But I mean, how long does it take to put out a really great plate? And it's such a thrill every time. Yeah. What's not to like? Hey, we can talk all day about uh, all these experiences. I mean, and we're just touching such a small amount of each one of your experiences. But we will have to wrap this up. So the podcast, I've been doing this for, I don't know, the last few years now. And uh, one thing I've always asked everybody is, like, what's your favorite cut of beef? Uh, we're going to change it up just a little different here this time. And I want to ask each of you, you know, if there's a cut of beef that challenges you, you know, maybe you're on this personal crusade and you're always trying to go back and get over that challenge and create something. Like you feel like that cut, there's something there in that cut. It's a pain in the butt to cook, but I know I can do something with it and turn it into something magical. Is there a beef cut that does that for you? I'll start off with Janet. Oh, that's a really hard question. And nothing is... All the stuff I like comes to mind, mm-hmm. but not so much. And I'm trying to think of stuff that that I haven't cooked. And, you know, like a hip of beef. I've never had to cook <laughs> one of those. You know, that's obviously not the sort of thing that one sees every day. But I would be really kind of taken aback if you told me, hey, this is what we need for the banquet. I would be on my phone in a heartbeat Googling it because I wouldn't even know where to begin. Huh, a hip of beef. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's, that in a long time. That's old school, right? <laughs> no um, doubt. Yeah. And I don't cook hanger steaks very often either. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's not something you see a lot of, right? It's chef's cut or the, yeah, the butcher's cut. Exactly. Not so, much of it on the animal, so. Yeah. So not out there. Th- those things are the first thing that hit my brain. But, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. How about you, Sarah? So I want to blame you for this one. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Digital flexor. So okay. you, know, you, intro- you introduced it to us last year, right? Uh-huh. Or earlier this year. Um, and, you know, we, you sent it home and I played with it. You cooked it. It was great. I played with it down here. And it was a, it's a tough one because you got to cook it, but not too much. But you have to cook it enough to break everything down. And then, then you got to explain to people what it is. <laughs> and try to get them to buy it. Okay, um, yeah. That was the big part, too. Um, but I really, I love it. The flavor is good, but, you know, you don't see it. You're never going to see it in your butcher's market. It's not one of those ones that's always readily available. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and it was unfortunate you weren't able to make the trip to Vancouver that brought that back to life. But when we were at two different restaurants and they were serving that in their restaurants and they're on their menu... I was like, see, someone knows what to do with it, how to make it work, and and it was delicious. So for those of you that are listening to Digital Flexor, it's what I would say is like a, a boneless oxtail. Tons of connective tissue. It comes out of the heel, so it's in the round, just past that bottom round, which would almost be like the human knee area, but it's actually part of the Achilles. So you think the Achilles heel that goes all the way down to the foot uh, that's all tendon there, but as it starts to come up towards that knee area there of the cow, it actually starts to have some muscle on there. So it's definitely that indulgent, you know, so much collagen breaking down, lip smacking, braise that's just, it's different. Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, if if you've got the time to play around with, it can add a lot. 
to many dishes. But again, how do you sell it? That's, I, I hear where you're coming from. In a restaurant, what do you do? Personally, I like to shred it and put it in like raviolis, things like that. I think it's a oh, great, great for that, like a ragu. Yeah, and I would treat it almost like an oxtail, but really cool cut. And and if, if you're listening out there and, and there's, there's interest in, in it, trying to understand it some more, definitely, you know, Reach out to to some of your distributors and so forth and see if uh, they can get their hands on it. You know, we're always looking for ways to get new cuts for people out there, but also at the same time, you know, as a chef, we, we you know, we know how to cook ribeyes. We know how to cook short ribs. We, know, we, we can cook the animal as a whole, right? But we don't know every single muscle that's on there because it just doesn't end up being something that is offered to us that often. How about you, Heather? I know you've had tons of different experiences with beef. Um, is there a cut out there that challenges you that, you know, you like to play around with and maybe come back or you overcame that challenge and, and you're really happy about what you end up putting out there? Um, I struggle with the smoked brisket. Okay. Um, we got a smoker, big, big giant smoker this year. And, um, so just, you know, trial and error. I know it's a very time requiring and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it comes out good. It you know, it, like it, it always comes out good. It just doesn't always come out great. So, um, you know, just working on it and practicing and talking to people, barbecue seems to be something everyone wants to talk about. So it's sure. not, not difficult to get advice um, <laughs> for sure. And the other, the other one I would say, and I haven't cooked it in a while, but sweetbreads. Oh yeah. I love sweetbreads and when Yum. I've had them mm-hmm. cooked well, you know, amazing. But you know, if you don't get that connective tissue or you know, not soaked properly or long enough, it's yeah. challenging. So it could definitely be challenging. And I I think it comes down to anything else. If you haven't done it enough, right? Or play, played around with it enough, it's definitely a little tougher. Some things are just pretty simple. I mean, it's easy. A, a filet, right? What else are you going to do with it? You, I mean, you can overcook it, right? But it, it's not challenging to cook, per se. Um, but good call there. Um, you know, brisket is is one of those that's smoking a brisket. It's not easy. And especially, it sounds like your your smoker's really big, right? So that that becomes a challenge in itself oh. is managing something that's just got a lot of, lot of room. Probably some cold spots, hot spots, learning all that stuff. Um, oh, sure. And then, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts on your barbecue, right? You know, there's, most of those people probably have never tried to cook as many briskets as you're doing at a, at a shot. So, you know, they're, they're that weekend warrior doing one or two at home. You know, you pick your weekend just right and your humi- humidity's just right outside, this, that, and the other thing, and you end up nailing it, right? But then the following week, temperatures change, humidity's really low, and it doesn't come out the same, and you go... Well, what's going on here? Why is that? There's just like baking, right? There's so many different things which these pitmasters understand because that's all they do. They don't do anything but cook briskets all day, every day. They know their wood. They know the, the, the humidity. They know the temperatures. They know all those things, and they can dial it down and almost perfect it, right? So it it's tough. I I don't I've I've cooked some good briskets in my lifetime, but I've cooked some that yeah, they're good, but were they amazing? No. But it's definitely a challenge. But I know you're up for the challenge and it's what? Year 1 <laughs> with that. So, um, you know, next year, next year you're going to do it and and make it even better and it's just going to get better. So, 
Really, really cool. Well, hey, chefs, this was awesome. I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules. I really enjoyed conversating with the three of you all about, you know, just your experiences and what you can offer up maybe some of the younger women out there in the industry. I truly, deeply, in my heart, appreciate everything that you do for our podcast and the industry. I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. But again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Chef. See you later. Thanks for having us, Chef Pete. Thank you, Chef. Bye-bye. And listeners, thank you for joining us on In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to slice into the amazing world of beef. Until then, happy eating. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Silver Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.